Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. As we continue our series in Advent, today's theme is love, and I wanted to read um, a combo of verses uh, just to reflect upon Uh, without being redundant to just what a wonderful time of sharing we had with communion uh, with Dave and Sharon. But from 1 John 4 and John 3.16, this is from the message, as we light Advent candles, let's reflect upon God's love for us. We read this from the message version. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son. And this is why so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in Him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust Him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to Him. Come, Holy Spirit. We light the Advent candles to remember as we've journeyed hope together, and we've learned that it's more about the character of God and less about our circumstances. We light the, the candle of peace, learning the same thing, that it's deeper than a sense of calm or tranquility. It's wholeness in the Lord. We light the candle of joy as we were reminded last week that lasting joy is found in Jesus. And this morning we find that we light the candle of love and reflect upon the one and only Son, Jesus. We pray, come Holy Spirit, fill us with your word, fill us with yourself. Give us yourself, we pray. We are grateful to be in your presence this morning. We love you, God. We remember even today as as Hanukkah begins, Lord Jesus, that you, your love is the light of the world. The festival festival of lights beginning today, Jesus, we remember that you are the light. Your love is the light within our hearts. Burn bright, we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, I wonder if any of you can take a little time travel with me and identify any of these song lyrics. Are you ready? I'll try not to sing them. I'm just going to speak them. I may, yeah, a little, a little game of name that tune. Are you ready? I may phrase them to give you a little hint. Bittersweet. Memories. Shout it out when you know it. That are all I'm taking with me. I will always love you. I will always love you, <laughs> Wow. Wow, super fast. Gold stars for Sarah. Okay, try this one. How about this? There's a calm surrender to the rush of day. 
when the heat of the rolling world can be turned away, an enchanted moment, it sees me through. It's enough for this restless warrior. There it is. Hey, Ben Barnhart from The Lion King. Can you feel the love tonight? Okay, too easy, too easy. Here's, here's the last one, a personal favorite of mine. Shot through the heart. And you're to blame, darling. That's right. You give love a bad name. But when it comes to love, this world, you know, has the wrong perspective. It's all over our songs, our films, and poetry. But the world often has the wrong perspective of love. Most of the love in this world comes down to what you can do for me. We say, I love peanut butter M&Ms. While we say we love our spouse, we love different things. We love, love, love. All you need is love. But what it comes down to when the world defines it is what can you do for me? It's about how you make me feel because of this erroneous view. Our emotional connections make it too easy to move on. When I don't feel love for you, I'm going to walk away, we say. But real love doesn't move on in difficult situations or moments. It holds on and it fights for the other. And so we're going to define love this morning. And as we've been doing throughout the series, we're going to show you a video. This is from uh, the people at the Bible Project. And this is the biblical definition of love as we've defined hope, peace, and joy. Now check out this video from the Bible Project on love. Jesus also went on to think that genuine love for God and others means 
seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this mm -hmm. kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemies and do good to them Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own adopting for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own adopting was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for this world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. So good. An ecosystem of others giving self giving love. Beautiful, right? So that's what we're going to get at this morning, and we're going to primarily be in that passage that uh, he had mentioned in 1 John, and in 1 John 4, 7 through 21, if you wanted to turn there with me. And there's going to be three things primarily that we uh, scratch at this morning, and I'll leave those up on the screens for the remainder of the morning, just as points of reflection. And so the three things that we're going to talk about are incarnation, our love and God's love, and transformation. And so we can leave those up for the rest, and there'll be points of reflection for us, and then we'll end with a series of questions that have been included in the Vineyard USA Advent Devotional, which I know many of you have been enjoying over the season. Um, and so we'll leave it there and just uh, look for invitations from the Holy Spirit for our hearts this morning's. Uh, for this morning as we journey this thing of God's love. So incarnation is first, and incarnation is a word that we use a lot around this season, and simply what it means is that God became flesh. And I wanted to break that word down a little bit. If there are any Spanish speakers in the room or watching online this morning, you will be familiar with the, the middle inflection of that word, carnation, carne asada tacos, carne asada tacos right? Uh, um, what are the dinosaurs called that eat meat? They are 
carnivores. So literally what we're saying when we say that uh, in the incarnation God became like us is that God became meat. God became flesh. God became skin and bones. And that's important for us to realize this morning. It's astounding actually. But when we say that Christmas is about the the birth of God in the person of Jesus, we miss the most astounding thing of all, that God would even be born at all. Isn't that amazing? That God would even be born at all. The greatest wonder of all. Because nearly everything about the birth of Jesus was normal. Nearly everything about the birth of Jesus was ordinary. You know, it's only been throughout the past, what, 60 or 70 years that babies have been born in hospitals. Yes, babies have been born uh, in all sorts of places. Babies have been born in fields. Babies have been born in forests. Babies have been born in homes. And babies have, yes, been born in barns. So there's nothing extraordinary about the birth of Jesus. It's very ordinary. Mary carried Jesus for nine months, the the normal human gestation period to grow and develop as the baby enters the world. Nine months, that's pretty ordinary, wouldn't you say? But what is totally unique is that God was born as a human being at all. That's the unique thing about the coming of Jesus. That, scripturally, we learn of God that he never changes, yes? He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. But, but, in the incarnation, the enfleshment of the divine, we find that God changes from spirit to flesh, from what has been hidden now to what is revealed. What cannot be seen, what's invisible, to now what is seen. That is truly amazing, that God would even become human at all. And so a really great question to ask as you're journeying this Christmas, maybe to to take a moment, a quiet moment or two, just to find some quiet space at your house or in your office and to just get real quiet and still. A great point of reflection would be to, to ask, God, why did you become human? Why did you become a person? Does God need to become human? Why? And the first hint to the answer of that question is that it's not explicitly about forgiveness. You know, God, creator of the world, from before what is, spoke ex nihilo, the world, into existence. I had a great conversation this week with a friend of mine who's writing a book about the creation account and just astounding, the creator of the world who spoke the world into existence, the judge of the universe could, could wave the heavenly gavel with one 
edict with one fiat and say, you're all forgiven. He has the power to do that. Yes, you're all forgiven, but he doesn't do that. The incarnation is not about forgiveness. Instead, the creator of the world came to live among those who are condemned, who are living on death row. The judge of all came to live on death row. Astounding, right? To squeak out some little margin this Christmas season and ask that question, why did you become human? would be transforming for us. The second hint is that it's about love. I just gave it away there. The second hint is that it's about love. It's about the love of God. And as we learn from the Bible Project video and, and from uh, just what we know about love, which is very little, is that there's a difference between our love and God's love. And the most serious error that we could make this morning is to come in thinking that we understand God's love. That we understand, that we are certain about what the love of God means to us. We'd be in error because God's love is different than our love. And those two kinds of love, our love and God's love, are actually at war with one another. Let's read 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Love it. John is just pouring out here. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete or full in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So we know and rely on the love God has for all of us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this commandment, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's enough. We can go home now. <laughs> How good is that? God is love, John writes. God is love. 
the more, to the degree that we know God, we will know divine love. But we humans, we get it backwards. We try to put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. And we say the more we figure out love, then we'll know God more. But John says it's the opposite. Get in touch with the character of God and you will find out what love is really all about. What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it? <laughs> everything when it comes to God. It's part of who he is. It's everything to him. Listen to this little conversation. It's, it was overheard in heaven right before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. I love this. This is taken from author and uh, uh, pastor Max Lucado. And he describes this imaginary conversation between God and Lucifer just before Jesus is born. This is so good. Let this touch your hearts this morning with the love of God. The king walked over and reached for the book. He turned it towards Lucifer and commanded, Come, deceiver, read the name of the one who will call your bluff. Read the name of the one who will storm your gates. Satan rose slowly off of his haunches. Like a wary wolf, he walked in a wide circle toward the desk until he stood before the volume and read the word. Emmanuel? He muttered to himself, then spoke in a tone of disbelief. God with us? For the first time, the hooded head turned squarely toward the face of the Father. No, not even you would do that. Not even you would go so far. You've never believed me, Satan. But Emmanuel, the plan is bizarre. You don't know what it's like on earth. You don't know how dark I've made it. It's, it's putrid. It's evil. It's, it's, it's mine, proclaimed the king. And I will reclaim what is mine. I will become flesh. I will feel what my creatures feel. I will see what they see. But what of their sin? I will bring mercy. What of their death? I will give life. Satan stood speechless. God spoke, I love my children. Love does not take away the beloved's freedom, but love takes away fear. And Emmanuel will leave behind a tribe of fearless children. They will not fear you or your hell. Satan stepped back at the thought. His retort was childish. They, they will too fear me. I will take away all sin. I will take away death. Without sin and without death, you have no power. Around and around in a circle, Satan paced, clenching and unclenching his wiry fingers. When he finally stopped, he asked a question that even I was thinking. Why? Why would you do this? The father's voice was deep and soft because I love them. Because I love them. Because I love them. It's true, we can't pay ever the debt of sin. It's too true, but today we're not merely talking about sin, are we? We're talking about love. We're talking about the Father's love. Christmas isn't about our sin, it's about the love of God. The economics of the kingdom turn every business model upside down. We owe nothing because of who Jesus is, because of the 
God made meat. We owe nothing but a debt of love. Love is the currency, you see. Love is the coin. It's the tender. We repay the love debt with the very substance of the original act of God's love. To be like Jesus, our idea of love is about what we feel, our circumstances, what they're like, or maybe at its highest level about sacrifice for others. But God's love is different. It's not merely about the forgiveness of sins. It's about the love of a father for his children. Can we wrap our hearts around that this Christmas? All fathers in the room should be shaking their heads. Yep, I get you. I got you. Author and pastor Tim Keller writes this about love. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Isn't that beautiful? What Tim Keller is saying is that God's love is so much different than ours. And because it's so much different, because love is a force of nature, because love is the transformation we need, it, it ushers us into this place of the partaking of the divine nature, the actual essence of who God is. As we read in 1 Peter we are called to be partakers in the divine nature. As we know God, as we invite God, we actually partake in who He is. And who God is, is love. And so what Tim Keller is saying is that when we grab hold of this, when we grab hold of Him, when we, when we focus our eyes squarely on Him, only on Him, only ever Jesus, it's only then what we learn to discover is love and share that with other people. We're partakers in the divine nature. He transforms us. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. The hope of transformation that you and I can be different. That people can change. That people can change. Try, Vineyard Cleveland, as I remind myself, as you're sitting around that Christmas ham again with those people, <laughs> that people can change, and that includes you too. The hope of transformation, and this is the challenging thing about Christmas time, is that God's love has been incarnated, made flesh and bone. And we get to be reminded of it every year. And the possibilities come around. And it's one thing to just celebrate God, but it's a completely other thing to become like Him. To be a partaker in the divine nature. 
Okay, so let's bring it home. Love provides a perfect challenge of living life the way that Jesus lives it. It's the challenge to us to live life in the way that Jesus lived. And to flesh this one out, I'm going to draw that example of love your enemies out, just stretch it just a little bit more. First, let's just pause for a moment on the reality that Jesus was like the first one on the face of the earth, like the first one who ever said this, this absurd phrase. Think about how absurd that phrase is. Love your enemies. What are you talking about, Jesus? Love your enemies. How bizarre that is. Now, we here in Cleveland, we hear that from the, the written word, love your, Jesus says, love your enemies. It's not so crazy. It's not so weird. After all, it's in the scripture. Hold on a second. Love, delight in your enemies? <laughs> Jesus, they're my enemies for a reason. But Jesus, I have all these reasons why I should not love them. Jesus says, love your enemies. That's absurdity. Dallas Willard says this, Love is the perfect example or expression of discipleship. He was reflecting on this phrase, love your enemies, and he said this, it's not easy to consistently love our friends and family at the heart level, much less our enemies. We may be able to focus on what's good, what's valuable about them, but delighting in them as God delights in them is much more difficult. Delight in our enemies, Willard writes, Delight in those who have just cursed us, who've hurt us, who've taken something of value from us and scorned us and looked down upon us. That's hard to do. This is where we give up a lot of times. We say, after all, I'm not God. I can't do it. Give me a break, after all. It's too hard. It's too hard to think about, let alone put into practice. So at this point, we're like, I'm out, Jesus. <laughs> I'm just out. Willard goes on to say this. We should not try to love that person. This is the key. This is where it all hinges if you take nothing else. If I take nothing else from this, I pray that we take this. We should not try to love that person. We should not try to love that person. We should train ourselves to become the kind of person who would love them. Our aim under love is not to be loving to this person or that person, this situation or that situation, but to be a person who is possessed by Love as the overall character of our lives. You see, if I have to love my enemy, I'm stepping out of my nature. 
even though it kills me, I'm going to love my enemy. I'm going to love you. After all, I have to there. I hoped you liked it. Did you like that? You got some love? Good. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? Jesus didn't come down and say, Gosh, you're all a bunch of idiots. Here, I'm going to love you. I hope you liked it. Now, Jesus didn't do that, did he? Jesus responded the only way he had to respond. And it was with love because he was possessed by love. To become like Jesus. The real hope of Christmas is that we can act in loving ways even when we don't feel loving. Love is not something we do. It's something we become. We become God made flesh. It requires new birth. How does that happen? Great question. (laughs) I don't think I've got it figured out, but I'm pretty sure it's got something to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm pretty sure it's got something to do with hanging out with Jesus and fixing our eyes and our gaze on only him. I'm pretty sure that's how transformation happens, and it's the only way it can. God became flesh so that our flesh could contain him. It's not so weird that the Holy Spirit lives in us, broken, cracked, earthly vessels. We carry his presence. We always land back here, don't we, Vineyard Cleveland? That presence. His presence is everything. 